Well, good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? How are our college students doing today? You guys doing all right? Man, I'll be honest, I, I love hearing about your guys' lives. I love hearing how our college students are doing. I loved my time in college, and sometimes, if I'm honest, I get jealous, a little bit jealous of you guys. I just remember that time when you can just, no, no big adult responsibilities, I can just study what I want, I can just pick up in my car and go to the Asbury Revival for a couple days, come back, see my friends. I mean, it's an awesome time. But there are probably two times a year where I remember where I'm really not jealous of you, and that would be in early December and end of April, <laughs> otherwise known as finals week. Finals week, oh, that, that's a tough week. And also the classes right before that, that's a tough time. I remember staying up late at night, 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, working at IHOP, and admittedly that was because I had spent all day hanging out with my friends, uh, not because I really was studying that hard, but it was, it was a great time. But I do not envy you when it comes to finals week. But even if you are a procrastinator at times, like I sometimes was in my college years, um, you can't just ignore the final. You can't ignore the final, right? I mean, usually it's such a large part of your grade. It's a really important test. And when you, when you turn in your final, when you turn in your final paper, the goal is to demonstrate that you have learned what your teacher wanted you to learn, that you have accomplished the objectives of the course. Remember the objectives that you got in the syllabus on the first day? That these are the five things that your teacher wants you to learn or achieve in this class. That is what you are doing. Now, most of us here are not college students, but we all have the most important final of our lives that Jesus references here in John 5. The most important final is coming. He teaches that he's the one who will administer our final judgment, the final judgment of all things. Now, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 5 so you can follow along with what Jesus is teaching here. And I'm, I'm glad Wendy shared this story for us because we're not going to jump into that story this morning. But Jesus had just performed this miraculous healing and it just so happened to be on the Sabbath day. And they were concerned about that. By the way, the, the whole thing about Jesus working and his father's working, the, the Jews believed that God was allowed to break the Sabbath. Because if God... If God just took a break on the Sabbath, the whole world would collapse. It was his power that was keeping the universe sustained, so therefore God was working on the Sabbath, and that was okay. So when Jesus says, well, my Father's working, and I, too, am working, that's a divine claim. That's a divine claim. It's, it's actually not a good mentality for, for us to be always working. It's good for God to be always at work, thank God. But also, we need a break. We need the Sabbath. So, John chapter 5, that's a little bit of an aside. So Jesus gets judged for this healing on the Sabbath. Now, in some ways, he begins to defend himself, and he lets the religious leaders know that actually, I am going to be the one who judges you. I am going to be the one who judges all things and determines their rightness or their wrongness, their justice or their injustice, their good or their evil. Jesus says this in verse 28. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. 
For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now, the New Testament teaches over and over again that at the end of history, Jesus will return and every person who has ever lived will, will come out of the graves. They will be evaluated, judged, and brought to their eternal destination. As Jesus says here, either they will rise to live, those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Eternal life or second death, heaven or hell, whichever language that Jesus uses depends on the circumstance. Now, this is un unfortunately a neglected doctrine among us, but it's taught over and over again by Jesus and the apostles. In fact, it was actually part of the gospel. This is part of the good news. Because final judgment is actually good news. It means that justice, the justice that we long for, will finally happen. It means that God will put this world to rights. He will vindicate the poor, the oppressed, and the persecuted. God will reveal that Jesus is the Lord that we have believed him and trusted him to be. Like a good movie, in the end, the evildoers are defeated, Satan is overthrown, the world is healed, God wins, those who are in Christ are saved eternally, and yes, they live happily ever after. See, we hear these stories, we write these stories, we watch these stories, because this is the story we long for. And the good news is, this is the story that you're in right now. It's happening. So this, is the, this was part of the gospel. God is going to judge the world through Jesus. He'll make it right. And this was accepted by the early church as essential to orthodoxy. As we say in the creed, he will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. It's a picture of glory, kingdom come. All who ever live will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when the final judgment is brought up in the New Testament, when it's typically taught, there is uh, taught, uh, there's often a dual message. On the one hand, of our, of our assurance in Christ and his salvation, and on the other, there's this kind of warning to, to persevere in holiness to the end. Uh, there's a tension between not worrying, between trusting in the Christ who saves, uh, but also to take the final judgment very seriously. And I think this, this, is, this tension is in numerous scriptures, numerous texts that we could bring up. Let me just give you one from 1 Peter. Peter teaches, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. There's the hope, there's the grace. But also, verse 17, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. We set our hope on the grace of God, but we also recognize that there is a judgment, there's an accountability, there's a reverent fear as we live out our time as foreigners in this world. So we set our hope, we know we're saved, yet we know he will judge us and hold us, hold us accountable. So my goal this morning is not to provoke unwarranted fear. But my goal is to provoke your needed faithfulness. I do not want to provoke unwarranted fear, but I want to provoke your needed, your warranted faithfulness. And truly, my, the goal that I have as your pastor is to make sure that you do well on the final. Because I will be held accountable whether or not I helped you do well on that final. 
That's what I'm accountable for. So I've got to make sure I do a good job of doing that. Wouldn't you agree? And because our lives can get so chaotic, because it's, it's so easy for us to get caught up in all kinds of things and idols and become lukewarm like we talked about last week, we need lots of reminders of what is truly most important in life. We're going to talk about it this morning. But first, I want to begin with talking about our assurance, the assurance, the trust that we have in Christ for salvation. Over and over again, Jesus teaches that at the end of history, there will be these two destinations of life or death. He talks about this all the time. The sheep or the goats, the good, uh, the good fish or the rotten fish, the wheat or the tares, the people who are prepared for the wedding ban- banquet and those who are not. Jesus sees the world going in these two directions. There's a fork in the road. And that's what judge- judgment means, actually. It's the, it's the Greek word crisis. It means this separation of the ways. There's, there's this discernment of, of two things. And so Jesus says in verse 24, he says, Very truly I tell you. Now whenever you see that in English, you've got to know that's like the amen and amen. Jesus is saying, this is really important. I want you to get this. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. But has crossed over from death to life. Not be judged means not condemned on the last day. As Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you know that's what justification by faith means? It means by faith, we believe that in the future judgment, when Jesus comes again, we will be declared to be right with God because of what Jesus has done to forgive our sins and take upon the punishment that we deserve. That's justification by faith, that in advance, we are being declared right with God. This is an amazing promise, and it should give you healthy assurance. But we do have to be clear that this promise, this assurance, it's truly for those who honor Jesus Christ as their Lord, who honor Jesus as Lord. I want to back up a couple of verses. Back up to verse 22. Jesus says, The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Why? So that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If you don't honor Jesus, you don't honor God. Honoring Jesus as Lord, surrendering to him, that alone determines our eternal destiny. And that's, that's really the first question and the most important question that will be on the final. Did you honor Jesus as Lord? Did you surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord? You know, there's been a lot of good theological work done in the past several years uh, that really have, I would say, nearly proven that faith in the New Testament really means allegiance. It means our loyalty to Christ as king. The, the Greek word pistis means faith. It's allegiance. It's loyalty to Christ as Lord. So when we say you must believe in Jesus to be saved, we mean you must honor him to be your Lord. I mean, James even says this, those who, it, that, it, that intellectual belief is not enough because even the demons believe that and they shudder. So it's not meaningful to say that, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord, but I never do what he says. That's not honoring him as Lord. We're justified by our faith in Christ, but we're judged according to our fruit, our works. Does my life show 
that Jesus is Lord. As James wrote, I will show you my faith by my deeds. I'm going to show God, I'm going to show the world that Jesus is my Lord by how I live. And again, this is something that you cannot do on your own. You cannot do on your own power. You're not earning anything. It's simply the fruit of Jesus actually being in you. If Jesus is truly in you, you will become more and more like him as you surrender to his leading. I'm going to put up a, a bit of a longer scripture in, uh, up here, but I think this, this captures it in 1 John. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we, reno- we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What John is saying, hey, we, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If we, if we honor him as Lord, he lives in us. He loves us. We can trust in that. And we can also trust that as he lives in us, he will change us to be like him. So we shouldn't fear eternal judgment, but we should seek to be seriously faithful unto the end. That's, that's, that's the tension. So I want to talk about, we have our assurance, but I want to talk about the importance of seeking faithfulness. Why should we seek to be faithful? It should be obvious, but I'll point out a couple things. First is that every person and every deed will be brought into the light and held accountable. Every person who's ever lived, every deed that's ever been done, it will be brought into the light and held accountable. I'm going to give you a few verses here. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat, and each of us will give, us, give an account of ourselves to God. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And Jesus said, I tell you that everyone who will have to give, it, will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Every idle word. This is pretty serious accountability, right? But friends, to live a healthy life, a healthy life period, a healthy spiritual life, you have to take 100% accountability for how you live. You have to take 100% responsibility that you are in charge of your life. You are a morally free agent. That is how God designed you. So what you do with your life, what you do, what, what you say, your habits, your deeds, your love, how you live, it's all up to you. And sure, we've all had different upbringings. We've all had situations that have happened to us that were certainly not in our control. And God lovingly knows that. He takes that into account. But you still have to accept 100% responsibility for what you do with your life and how you respond to the life you have. You can't blame anyone. You can't put this on anybody else. You can't put this on any situation. You alone are in charge of your life. And this is why God will have you give an account for how you live. We will be judged for what we have done, our thoughts, words, and deeds, and for what we have left undone. Our sins will be forgiven, but we're held accountable for how we live. Do you see the tension? We're forgiven, but we're held accountable. The second reason why we should be serious about our faithfulness is that we will receive reward or not for what we have done. 
Jesus taught this in the parable of the talents. He, this, this master gives people different uh, amounts of gold, and the expectation was, hey, go invest this for, for my sake. And in the same way, God expects us with all that we've been given. He knows some people have been given different amounts on, depending on life circumstances, but the, the responsibility of the steward was to go invest what they have been given for the master. Those who invested and did well gained more. So what we did or did not do with what God gave us is judged at the end and rewarded. So if we gave our lives to to meaningful, eternal kingdom work, that will be brought into the light. But if we gave ourselves to meaningless stuff, what we've done will be burned up. We'll still be saved, but we suffer some type of loss. But if you're somebody that you're seeking first the kingdom, you're living for the kingdom in your life, this should be good news for you. This is good news because often your work in the Lord, it's, unre- it's unrecognized. Maybe you feel underappreciated. Sometimes your work is invisible. Sometimes you, you don't ever see fruit from what you do. Maybe you won't see it for decades. Maybe you'll never see fruit from the kingdom work that you do. But if it is the Lord's work and it's done with love and care, it will stand forever. It will stand forever. It will have ripple effects into generations to come and into eternity. Hebrews 6.10 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. God's not unjust. He remembers, he rewards all that we, we have done for him. He's a good, loving, and just God. So God remembers and he rewards our our deeds that are done in love. So how can we be prepared? We have to remember that our lives are the final. We're living the final right now and it will will hit submit another when we die or when Jesus comes again. That's when the final comes. But the test is happening right now. You're taking it right now. But it's evaluated at the end. So, What's on Jesus' final? And again, I want to remind you, in all my love, I, I, I hope you're not, I'm not provoking any unwarranted fear. I just want to provoke your faithfulness to the end because that's all that's going to matter in the end. So the first question we already talked about, did I honor Jesus as Lord? We have to get that settled. But if we call Jesus Lord, now our job is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who's working in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose so in all the chaos and all the busyness of our lives all the ways that we are prone to to worship and live for what is unimportant we need to we need to be reminded again this morning what truly is most important in life what truly should be your highest priorities are you accomplishing the objectives that are on the syllabus of life here's a few questions to consider these are not, uh, these are questions that I think are in some ways on the final, uh, but they are the fruit of making Jesus your Lord, they are, ev- they are evidence of your salvation, and they are behavior that God will reward on the last day. And so a, a first question I want to mention is, did I seek to love God supremely? Did I love him? Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment, loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And this is what we talked about last week in some ways. Am I, am I getting rid of all idols? Am I, am I repenting of lukewarmness? Do I have any other gods or things before him? Do I treasure Jesus Christ above all things? 
Loving God, spending time with God, worshiping God, silence, solitude, Sabbath, the ways that you slow down and just love God. That's so important. Do we love God? Do we obey God even when it's hard or it's unpopular? Our love for God, this has to be the number one priority because it's our abiding in Him, it's our relationship with Him that produces all the other fruit that God expects in our lives. It's our connection to Him, Jesus says, that produces the fruit. So make loving God supremely your number one priority. A second question that is so close in importance to this is, did I love others, especially my neighbors in need, concretely? Did I love others especially my neighbors in need, concretely. The second commandment Jesus mentions, it's essential. It proves that we love God. It proves that we love God. Do we see neighbors in need and do we do something? Does the love of God well up within your heart when you see the the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the stranger, the imprisoned, and the sick? Are we like the sheep who love the needy or are we like the goats who did nothing? Are we like the good Samaritan seeking to love those who are broken and beat up on the side of the road? Or do we pass by the opportunities in our lives to love others? Did I love my family? Did I love my spouse? Did I love my kids? Did I love my relatives? Did I love my church? Did I show hospitality? Did I seek to honor others above myself? Was I a servant like Jesus was? We want to become like him, don't we? That's, that's on the final. A third question. Did I pursue holiness? Did I pursue holiness? The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Did we pursue repentance of our sin? The New Testament makes clear that God sent Jesus to destroy the works of the devil and his works are sin. We are to be free from the sin nature. Those in Christ cannot abide in sin or live in darkness any longer. And Paul reminds the church constantly that those who live in sin, the greedy, the idolaters, the sexually immoral, the thieves, those who slander, those who live selfishly, those who live with hatred and discord and division, Paul reminds them those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's on the final. Did we repent of our sin? Not perfection, but genuine repentance. Genuine and true, sincere repentance is what God expects from us. And I, I was talking to my, my, our friend Manuel and Lloyd about the Asbury at Revival, or the Revival at Asbury. And uh, in, the, in the Wesleyan tradition, something that's brought up oftentimes is that holiness is possible. John Wesley actually believed you could be perfect. I don't know if I believe that. But a holy life is possible. A holy life, a life that loves God and love others, it's possible because of Jesus who is in you. It's possible to repent from sin. It's possible to get free. It's possible to live a life that's dedicated and devoted to the Lord. So lift your eyes to what is possible and what God might want to call you to. Repentance shows that the Spirit is at work sanctifying you. If we are saved in Christ, If we are dead to sin, we can no longer live in it or let it abide in our lives. That's our call. Finally, the last question is that did I devote my life to God's kingdom work? Did I seek first the kingdom? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 
Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor for God, it's never in vain, friends. It's never, ever in vain. What we did to advance the gospel, to build up his church, to serve the poor and the needy, how we loved the people around us, our families, our friends, this will last into eternity and it will be rewarded by God. It's truly what matters. Now, we all have our different callings and vocations, um, and most of our, our work is very ordinary. Sometimes our calling is to stay at home with the kids, or to work with our hands, or to run a business, or to teach, or to work in the church. All callings and vocations are valuable. But the question is, did I do these things with an eye to serve the Lord? Did I use what opportunities God gave me to point people to Jesus? Did I do it with love? Did I do it with care? Did I join God in what he was doing around me, recognizing that God is always working and I just have to join in with what God is doing? Did I join in? So my my intention this morning is to help every single one of you live the most meaningful, purposeful life that that you can live. If you're a young person, these are the most important things to build your life on. If you're a a person busy with, with work or with kids and career, remember that in the midst of all the busyness, this is what's most important. Lift your eyes to what's most important. And if you're getting towards the end, my encouragement to you is to finish well. Keep going with what's most important. Keep on pursuing the priorities that God has for your life. Martin Luther said that there were only two days on his calendar. Today and that day. Today and that day. And that's really the question before us. Because friends, you can't cram for the final. Like I did and tried to do in college. You can't cram for it. You still have to live your life. You still have a human body with all of its limitations and with the demands of your vocation and your job and your families and you need rest and you need joy in your life. So you can't cram for the final. But the question is, how can you live today in light of that day? Today, how will I take up my cross and follow Jesus? How can I please him with the little tasks, the people I serve, the opportunities that come my way? How can I live today so that on that day, When all is revealed, when all is said and done, what I've done will have mattered and pleased him and lasted into eternity. It really just boils down to, did I honor Jesus as Lord today? Did I love God today? Did I love my neighbor today? Did I pursue holiness today? Did I seek the kingdom's advance today? Today, that day. That gives us the framework. How you work, how you love your family, how you love your church will have ripple effects into eternity that you can only get a glimpse of now. But friends, when this happens, I think it's going to be glorious because you will see in astounding ways the ways that God has taken your very ordinary acts and has done amazing things. And by the way, That's why judgment is at the end. Because the way that we live impacts 
the generations that come after us. The way, the way that John Wesley pursued revival is inspiring college students today. That will be rewarded in the end. That will be revealed. He has no idea. He's been, long, he's been dead for 300 years. But his life and his witness, the things that he did, are having an impact yet today. And so that's why God will reveal all that you've done. It will be so glorious. You, won't, you can't even imagine it. The things that God has not revealed. But when it is revealed, you're going to see how your life was caught up in this amazing story. You didn't even know it, but God was using your very ordinary acts to do extraordinary things. So can I just encourage you, beloved, live today in light of that day and you will never regret it. Amen.